Hello, welcome to the Foreign Press Podcast. I'm Patricia Vasconcelos. This podcast is an educational program by the Association of Foreign Press Correspondents in the USA, AFPC USA. On today's program, Navigating the Migration Crisis, Insights for Foreign Journalists Covering the Situation in the U.S. Our guest today, David Beer. He's the Associate Director of Immigration Studies at the Cato Institute. He's an expert on legal immigration, border security, and interior enforcement. The U.S. Supreme Court and multiple federal appeals courts have cited his research and writing. Beer has testified before committees in the United States House and the U.S. Senate on several occasions. From 2013 to 2015, Beer drafted immigration legislation as a senior policy advisor for Congressman Raul Labrador, then a member and later the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee's Subcommittee on Immigration and Border Security. This educational program intends to equip foreign journalists with the knowledge and resources necessary to provide insightful coverage of the migration crisis unfolding in the United States. So, David Beer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So, uh, before we actually start with this topic, could you to give us some background of your work at Cato Institute and which resources and tools foreign journalists uh, could have there? Yes, yeah, so the Cato Institute, we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan public policy research organization that's been around for 40 years. I've worked uh, for the Cato Institute since 2016. We have an extensive array of research, original research uh, on the issue of immigration. Um, our team uh, has published on the fiscal effects of immigration, crime, terrorism. Um, I focus more on the legal immigration system and visas and the processing of, of immigrants who are coming into the country legally or illegally. And um, so there are, there's quite a large array of things. Uh, our most recent publication came out last week, looks at the history of the green card um, process uh, throughout American history, going back to the 19th century, all the way up to today the backlogs, the delays in processing, how that's changed over time, and ultimately coming to the number, the percentage of, of immigrants who are going through that process, who ultimately succeed in getting legal permanent residence by year uh, since the 1880s. And our conclusion is prior to the 1920s, uh, almost everyone, 98% of applicants were approved, um, and now we're down to 3% of applicants being approved. That's an example of the, the kind of research we did. Last year, I published a very long report on the green card rules and what goes into producing that low percentage of approvals. Very complicated system, but ultimately the end result is uh, most people get excluded and, and that's not an accident. That's by design. Our system is not meant to be followed by most people who are applying. Most people are supposed to be excluded by the very restrictive 
definitions, rules, regulations, and caps imposed by Congress and the administration throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Well, um, along our daily work, many foreign journalists, as American journalists as well, we are covering um, the migration crisis. And so this is more related, I believe, uh, to what is happening in the border. Uh, could you give us an overall analysis of the current uh, realities regarding illegal immigration in the U.S., uh, what the most recent data shows regarding in this specific topic. Right. So when it comes to illegal immigration, mainly measure illegal immigration through the number of arrests that Border Patrol is making at the border. And that data shows um, that it's highly variable over the last several years, but at a, at a rate much higher than um, prior administrations going back to uh, you know, the early 2000s. Um, we haven't seen levels of Border Patrol arrests quite at this uh, extreme in many years. And many of the people who are arrested are ultimately released into the United States. Mm -hmm. If you look at just the last two months, there's an illustration of how um, volatile the situation is. You had over 300,000 people encountered at the southwest border in, um, in December, and that number was effectively cut in half uh, mm -hmm. in January. So there's a lot that goes into the dynamics of illegal immigration, why there's spikes and ebbs and flows. Um, but even at that January level, I mean, that would have been an extraordinarily high rate of arrests under any other administration. Um, so, you know, even even when you have a 50 percent cut, it's it's still at a at a rate much higher than in the past. If you look at what's going on in terms of the demographics here. If you look at the Trump administration, we saw really a huge increase in Central American migration during those years peaking in 2019, fell off dramatically in 2020 as the economy closed, as uh, enforcement increased in various ways, came way down. Um, and then what you saw in the latter half of 2020 is continuous increases in the number of arrests through December of 2020. And mm -hmm. December of 2020 ended up being the highest level of arrests that we've seen at the southwest border in 20 years for for any December, you know, controlling for the time of the year. And so we were on the trajectory of increasing rates of illegal immigration before the Biden administration took over. Once they took over, we really saw a huge increase that's directly correlated to the increase in the number of job openings in the United States. So a very low level in April 2020 when unemployment went through the roof. But mm -hmm. as the number of job openings increased, um, we finally got back to where we were pre-pandemic in February of 2021. 
And then after that, it was off the charts to levels we've never seen before in this country. 12 million by uh, job openings by uh, 2022. And so this is, you know, the average before was less than 5 million uh, job openings uh, per month. And so this this is how people get to the border is by borrowing against their future earnings in the United States. Most of these people are going into debt, paying uh, smugglers and and um, other people to help them get to the U.S. border and ultimately across it. And the job openings, even if you're fleeing persecution, you need to be able to finance the migration. It's the jobs in the United States that are financing all of this. And so we've seen this dramatic increase in part because of the economy. The other thing that's really important to understand about this moment is we're seeing uh, a phenomenon in illegal immigration we've never seen before. And that is uh, it's a worldwide um, issue now in a way that it wasn't. So if you look at just Central American migration, which was the big issue under the Trump administration, Central American uh, arrests have never reached the peak that they did under the Trump administration. So the key issue that the Biden administration wanted to address when they came into office was keeping those arrests from, you know, spiraling upwards. They effectively succeeded in that, that what they didn't bet on was that Mexican illegal immigration would come back to levels we hadn't seen since 2008. And you have people from around the world, mainly South America, but other countries throughout the world coming to the border at the same time, as well as the Caribbean, Cuba and Haiti. So you had all those people showing up simultaneously for a variety of reasons for that. Uh, Nicaragua changed their visa policies uh, to allow Cubans to fly off the island for the first time in decades. And that really, uh, I mean, there was nothing that changed in Cuba or the US that caused that the number of Cubans to show up at the border to go through the roof other than Nicaragua's change in policy. And the, the second thing, of course, that happened is Venezuela uh, diaspora uh, finding their way to the border. And, and, and there are a lot of different reasons for why that happened. Um, but those dynamics led to really now they're dealing with not just Central Americans, not just Mexicans like the Bush administration, not just Central Americans like the Trump administration. They're dealing with a worldwide phenomenon, which is unlike any we've seen in American history. There is a data at Cato Institute a website, um, a data analyzed by Cato Institute mm -hmm. indicating that the number of immigrants is still 2 million below the Census Bureau's 2017 predictions. But I understand that immigrants here, uh, it's considered uh, immigrants that are accepted in, in the United States in a legal way. Uh, am I right? So is there um, a, a different um, reality? Um, um, what is your analysis comparing uh, the number of legal 
immigrants that are allowed to stay in United States in the past months compared to uh, the number of the illegal immigrants that, according to the data that you just explained to us, uh, this this number is increasing, right? Yeah, so uh, this is an all-inclusive definition. I mean, the Census Bureau doesn't distinguish between illegal oh. and and legal immigrants. This is okay. an overall number uh, of people who, uh, you know, we call them immigrants, but they're they're people who didn't acquire uh, citizenship at birth is the technical way in which uh, it's defined. So that number in 2022, that's the, the most recent mini census oh, that's been done is it was two million below um what the census bureau predicted it would be in 2017 and so two years ago 2020 okay right yeah so uh we'll get in september of this year we'll we'll be finding out what happened uh in 2023 so the the census bureau data is is always a, a little bit lagged there are some smaller surveys that they do that that show that um you know, the number has been increasing and we're catching up to, to what the Census Bureau predicted. But really, the point is uh, the Trump years was this, you know, four year period of stagnation in, in the immigrant population in the United States. So, again, it's, it's not terribly shocking that we would see this uh, a bit of an uptick under, uh, you know, the next administration particularly with it uh, eliminating a lot, of, a lot of the restrictions on legal immigration that were imposed by uh, the last administration. And so um, I, I think that's a big part of the story. Obviously, illegal immigration has been uh, the majority of the immigration that has happened under this administration, but it's not the only part of the story either. Mm -hmm. As our main audience, uh, they are foreign journalists based here in the U.S. Uh, what are the present day challenges and dynamics faced by foreign journalists reporting on the migrant crisis at the U.S. border? As a specialist uh, studying uh, this topic um, for many years, what foreign journalists, from your perspective, might be aware uh, before going there and before diving into this coverage for those who are not covering yet or for those who are um, intending to go and do um, work there um, soon? Look, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, I'm not a journalist, so I, I don't have direct experience with this. Uh, but I would say look, you know, the things that I depend on when it comes to journalism is direct firsthand accounts of uh, immigrants' experiences, Border Patrol agent experiences. We get way too much coverage from the national level. Yes, sources where to find, uh, for your experience, where to find other sources uh, with uh, data and statistics, maybe. Well, I mean, data and statistics, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, data out there. You know, I think the role of journalism is, yeah, you, you look at the, the big picture data, um, which 
uh, is an important part of the story, but understanding what's driving some of those um, trends is, is I think where the journalism part of it comes in. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways to interpret the changes that we see at the border, these fluctuations. Um, it, the perceptions that immigrants have are an important driver of arrivals at the border. And that can really only be obtained by interviewing them um, directly. I think there's too little reporting on what happens uh, to immigrants, their direct experience, really detailed accounts of what they went through in terms of timeline. I was here, I went here. Um, when I was in custody, this is what happened. I went from this place to the next place. I mean, those are the types of things that from a research perspective are really lacking. We kind of get uh, like a half an anecdote uh, usually in a story and it doesn't give the granularity that's necessary to really understand what's happening behind the scenes. And so I think those are the areas where, you know, I would I would tend to focus uh, my attention uh, because, you know, these are the things that, yeah, you can't just measure with numbers, uh, uh, the number of arrests and so on, uh, you know, is known. But um, some of these other, you know, subjective things or just behind the scenes government uh, machinations are are not things that are publicized um, in that way. And so I think there's there's a lack of of understanding of some of those dynamics and um, you know, that would be where I would start. You already uh, spoke about a little bit labor market regarding uh, immigrants, but uh, what are the recent statistics provided by Cato Institute or statistics that you are aware of, uh, of mm -hmm. or analyzed or worked regarding the role of immigrants and filling labor market niches across uh, different regions in the United States? Yeah. Uh it's a good question. Look, I mentioned, you know, there's right now almost 9 million job openings. It's been a to average of 10 million over the last few years. Uh, this is a dramatic change from the pre-pandemic uh, situation. And so immigrants are coming in, they're, they're filling these niches, both at the high and low end, depending on their skill set. And it, it is having a, a uh, uplifting effect on the on the total labor market uh, participation rate for natives. We we haven't seen an unemployment an employment rate for U.S. born workers has almost never been as high as it is right now. Um, so we're seeing complementarity happen on a daily basis. You have immigrants coming in; they fill a niche that's creating jobs for Americans in complementary positions. So. In construction work, you see a lot of immigrants coming in and, as laborers. That's allowing Americans to fill positions as managers. And we're seeing that play out throughout the economy. And it's really been a boon uh, to um, workers throughout the United States. We have seen inequality in wages um, uh, come down over the last few years. Uh, unfortunately, that's in part because of the wages of High skilled workers not rising as fast as before, but this is uh, evidence that there is some 
um, um, you know, we're not seeing the negative consequences that a lot of people are worried about when it comes to wages in the labor market. So um, I, I think it's overall a, a very optimistic story about immigrants' ability to succeed when they're given uh, the opportunity to contribute. Uh, unfortunately, many of the immigrants who are released from Border Patrol custody cannot legally work. And they are told effectively, you will eventually be able to work. And so what we're seeing um, in New York and Chicago and, and Denver and, and other major cities is a lot of people who have been told, don't get a job yet. It'll be illegal. It'll cause you problems. Go and wait for your uh, work authorization to come from the government. And that could be a year long or longer process to get uh, the right to work. And that is certainly a major reason why we don't see um, as much labor force participation among new arrivals as we would expect. Uh, there's a huge level of bifurcation in, the, the, in who this applies to. So for Mexicans and Northern Central Americans, uh, they have family uh, to facilitate their uh, integration into the labor market. And many of those immediately start working. They have people in place who can help them. Uh, for Venezuelans, uh, other South Americans, Africans, Chinese, uh, it's a much more complicated story for them. They're more likely to win their asylum cases so they have more of a reason to follow the process that's been laid out, but also it means that they have less um, ability to support themselves while they're here initially. And what are the recent or the most recent uh, trends uh, regarding um, migrants in the labor market, where they are allocated in different regions in the U.S.? Um, uh, what are the trends that still needs more analysis or still need more investigation? Is there any um, any new topic that you could, you know, give um, yeah. an update for us, um, a trend or a reality that still needs a closer look? Yes. So, I mean, the most interesting trend in the last several years has been the surge in immigration to um, southern states uh, in particular. So uh, really seeing large increases in the number of immigrants in the southeast. And this is, you know, this is where a lot of the job growth in the United States is happening. Um, you hear a lot of stories about New York City and Chicago and so forth. But you know, as many people who are moving there, there are a lot more people who are leaving and going to, to other places where there's greater economic opportunity. And that's the trend that is both the most important economic and a regional trend in the United States, but it's also the thing that drives a lot of the politics in the United States, too, because you're seeing the strongest backlash against immigration in many of these places where um, there's not a deep historical experience with immigration in the South. I mean, until the Civil Rights Act 
um, you know, you really didn't have this in the 1960s. You didn't have this level of um, uh, immigration at, at any point, you know, in the 19th or even 20th century. Um, and so this is a new, a new, relatively new experience. Obviously, it's been happening gradually, uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s. It's been increasing during throughout this time. But we're now at a level where for the first time, the South is going to be almost as a share of its population to where the rest of the country is, which has never happened before. And so this is um, a really big deal uh, in terms of the politics as well as economics, because this is they're creating the jobs. The immigrants are filling them. It's a mutually beneficial arrangement, uh, but it certainly has social and political ramifications, too, that are leading to a lot of the the, the politics in, in Washington, D.C. right now. Well, uh, talking about legal framework, um, have, how U.S. laws portraying to both legal and illegal immigration ensure accurate reporting and interpretation by foreign journalists? I'm not sure I understood the question. Could you elaborate? Yeah, how the U.S. laws that are um, that applies to legal and illegal immigration, uh, how those laws can give us foreign journalists a accurate interpretation of what is happening uh, in the country. Are those laws clear enough regarding uh, how they apply to both legal and illegal immigration? Are they enough for foreign journalists in order to analyze those um, those this phenomenon in society? Or is it necessary, you know, a much deeper knowledge and investigation for foreign journalists in those laws in order to, to understand how those laws um, apply to, to the case? The laws on the books are very minimally helpful in identifying what's actually happening with trends and legal and illegal immigration. I, I mean, at, at a broad level, uh, they might help you categorize, okay, some people are trying this path or this path, but uh, I mean, so much of our immigration system is executive discretion and regulations and sub-regulations and memos. Um, you know, there, there's no single area where you could just read the laws and, okay, this is this is how it is and this is why things are happening the way they are. I mean, you can go in even to, uh, you know, family-sponsored immigration. It has a hard cap. It hasn't changed in 33 years. You have millions of people who've been waiting for years. And then you look at the number of immigrant visas that are being issued and and it doesn't equal the cap. And so you, you can't look at the law and say, okay, well, this is how many people are going to come in because mm -hmm. you expect the law to be followed. Um, that's really not the case. It's all over the place in terms of what gets prioritized and what doesn't. And, um, you know, it's the same thing with um, employment-based immigration and, and so much else. And then, of course, even if you read the law, unless you have the broader context, 
of who's applying and what are the demographics, you're not going to really get a, a picture of what, you know, what is going to happen to any individual when they apply. I mean, reading the law, you would, you wouldn't necessarily say, okay, well, 90% of the employment based green card backlog is going to be from India. I mean, there's nothing in the statute that says that specifically. It's just a inadvertent byproduct of an outdated um, system that caps the number of green cards on a country uh, basis. And so you end up with these totally unpredictable uh, results uh, because of, of laws that aren't updated in many years and and um, you know the demographic trends are 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 so uh, unpredictable in many ways, mm-hmm. and I think it's the same at the border. Who gets released? Who gets deported? Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all things that uh, so many different factors that you have to go down to the individual country level to discuss. Well, Venezuela uh, doesn't accept deportation flights from the United States because we cut off international uh, relations with them in 2019. And then, but there are some flights happening and how are they happening? And well, some of them it's indirect uh, or they're, they're flying in on commercial flights or, I mean, there's so many different factors that go into a number um, and uh, go into enforcing or implementing the laws that that's why you do need journalism to explain in detail the backstory for a lot of these policies and and implementation procedures that that come about through uh you know logistical factors and and others that uh, are are really beyond the scope of something that could be written into a law As you said, one one thing it's what is written, and another thing it's reality. Um, now we are in two thousand twenty four, an electoral year that there is there are many challenges for us foreign journalists uh, covering this year here in the West, especially those based here in Washington D.C. covering um, U.S. politics. From your perspective, um, what are the, the the challenges, or maybe the unique challenge um, um, consideration uh, this topic migration for journalists covering um, this topic in this uh, in this electoral um, year is there something that is unique that makes this this topic uh, unique this year in com- in comparison to to previous years That's a great question. There, I mean, there, there, there are many ways. You already spoke a lot about this, right? Already gave yeah. a huge overview yes. that was happening and yeah. uh, gave some ideas, I believe, for us. Even the stories that we, 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 we sure. could might might cover. Sure, I, I think that you know when it comes to immigration, obviously this is going to be one of the most important and contentious topics in this election. Um, The, the challenge, of course, in reporting on immigration is that there's a gigantic amount of um, misleading information being put out, uh, um, half facts, uh, 
you know, partial pieces of the picture, um, just straight inaccurate information, um, things that get leaked that turn out not to be true. Uh, the government's trying to influence public opinion. So, um, you know, the way it presents its facts are not necessarily going to be um, reliable. Uh, the, the way it frames what it's doing is is not uh, necessarily the way that it should be framed. So there, there are a lot of uh, unique challenges because in, in, in a sense, people aren't always being above board on what they're putting out there. I think this administration has has kind of played this balance throughout uh, its three years of, on the one hand, engaging in really unprecedented levels of enforcement, uh, removing uh, just millions of people from the United States. That's an element of the story that, that it's... Uh, both trying to present to immigrants and, and in order to deter them from coming and defend its position, but also at the same time, that's not something that it's, you know, its base or its party is, you know, wanting to heap praise upon the president for being, uh, you know, so tough uh, on immigrants and, um, you know, the fact that it's jailing you know, more immigrants than the Trump administration did this time in, in 2020. I mean, those are facts, but they're not really ones that, um, you know, get promoted and, and uh, amplified. And so uh, the narrative gets muddled, uh, both from this administration and uh, from critics of the administration. And so you need to really focus on what are the facts? You know, what is actually happening? What does this policy mean? Uh, you know, to take another example, this administration released a lot of people because of the limits of detention. You know, we have 34,000 de detention beds. That's the number of people that were showing up at the border basically every three days in December. And so they were releasing a lot of people. They release a lot of people with ankle monitors, other electronic surveillance devices on them. And they present this to the public and to their own party as being, a, you know, this is like a pro-immigrant. We're, we're providing alternatives to detention. Um, and, and in the reality, it's electronic surveillance of people. I mean, no one's, no one's talking about how it's, uh, this is a, a way of tracking people and tracking them down and then deporting them. And so the framing of all of these stories is, is, you know, manipulated, I think in uh, the public. And so the public is left with the, with an impression, a false impression in many cases about what these policies actually mean for the people affected and uh, what the alternatives are, uh, to those policies. And so I think that's an important part of it. I think as foreign journalists, I mean, the biggest underreporting in the immigration space is for those people who are trying to come from those home countries and they haven't left yet. They're trying to come legally. They're looking for options. 
Uh, and those people are the ones who receive the least amount of coverage in the U.S. We get the story of the guy who already made it here, um, uh, the guy who's been in the United States for a while. Um, maybe we get some stories from the other side of the U.S.-Mexico border. We get very little coverage, if at all, um, of the people who are waiting for visas or figuring out what their next move is. And those stories are actually more enlightening for policymakers in the United States because those are the people who can actually be influenced. Uh, the people who are already here, I mean, there's not, there's no hope of, you know, influencing their decisions, changing policy in a way that would matter. Uh, it's really the stories of the people who are abroad that, that uh, have the most weight when it comes to what is the next step for this administration to take. Mm -hmm. Well, David, thank you so much for foreign journalists interested, you know, to get in touch with you or um, other um, um, specialists and Cato Institute. Uh, how can they reach the Cato Institute or you uh, and anything else you would like to add to our educational program? Well, my email's online, so anybody who's watching this can not, not go find me right it. away and email me and I can connect you with anyone. Uh, uh, all of our all of our emails at all of scholars at the Cato Institute are online. So anybody can reach out directly or indirectly, find all of our work, uh, cato.org uh, backslash immigration. Uh, you can find all of the, the materials that we've talked about. David Beer, thank you so much for your, your interview, your time. Uh, it was a pleasure to learn from you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I spoke with David Beer, he's the Associate Director of Immigration Studies at the Cato Institute, an expert on legal immigration, border security, and interior, interior enforcement. Thank you so much. See you next time. Mm -hmm.